Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. We'll be in the book of Revelation. It'll be helpful to have that uh, passage open before you. There's no sermon notes in your uh, service leaflet, so let me outline our th my thoughts this morning. In this passage, we're going to see a description of eternity. We're going to see an assurance of eternity, and then we're going to see a motivation uh, for here and now. So two thoughts about eternity, then one thought for here and now. So let's jump right in. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now when the Bible talks about heaven, it does not mean it's your eternal afterlife. When the Bible talks about heaven in this context, it's simply saying heaven, like the heavens, the stars. And the, our eternity with God is described as a new heaven and a new earth, as in new and improved. You think when you go to a car dealership, you're looking at one model, the, the old model, but now you're looking at the new model. And the new model has going to have certain features that make it better than and distinct from the old model. Uh, on a personal note, I kind of like the old models better. We purchased a used car, 2004, and it only pings once. One time, it reminds you that your seatbelt's not on, as opposed to the constant haranguing that I have in the current models. So newer is not always better, but it is in this case. Newer is better, new and improved, the new heavens and the new earth. And the author, John, describes heaven for us in terms of contrast. He's describing the new heavens and the new earth and contrasting it to the old heavens, the old earth, where we live right now. And I see two features of this new model that uh, are noteworthy. Two features for us to, to, that, that distinguish the new heavens and the new earth from what we experience now. And the first is intimacy with God. Now, I'm in chapter uh, 21 verse 2, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be as people. God will be with them as their God. Notice that's, that's four times he's saying the base, same basic thing. God will be with you. He will be uh, your God. He will dwell with you. As the author is asserting to us that one of the key characteristics, perhaps the key characteristic of our eternity is that there will be an intimacy with God. That is the new feature of the heavens and the earth, the new heavens and the new earth of our eternity. So logically, if that's a new feature of the new heavens and new earth, then that would mean that a feature of here and now is that we do not experience intimacy with God. Maybe you know the uh, folk singer Pierce Pettis? He wrote a song called The Presence of Your Absence Follows Me. It's a, it's a love song. He's talking about a love loss of the presence of your absence. Very pretty song. And it's also a theological point. We, we experience the presence of God's absence now. Does that sound sacrilegious? It is not. Uh, the, the Psalms are full of the refrain of where are you? Why does this happen? When will you act? So uh, just a smattering of Psalms. Psalm 10. Why do you stand so far off, God? He is not experiencing intimacy with God. Psalm 13, how long will you forget me forever? He is not experiencing intimacy with God. Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? These are all psalms that attest to the experience of the presence of God's absence. And that is one of our challenges. That is the reality of here and now. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God is not present. Uh, the air is present. You just, you're unaware of it. 
God is present, we're simply unaware of him for most time. Now we see through a glass, but darkly. One day we will see him face to face. There is an intimacy of eternity, an intimacy with God that is not part of our experience now. That is the first feature that separates now from then. I see a second feature. He will wipe away every tear. That, by the way, is a very intimate uh, act. Think of the number of people you, you'd let wipe a tear from your eye. Not many. <laughs> There's only one person I can think of. It's my wife. Like, no thanks if you want to, you know, just would not, it'd be kind of awkward, right? It's a very intimate act. He'll wipe away every tear. And so uh, the, the first distinction is intimacy, the, the, or the presence of God. The second distinction of the new heavens and the new earth will be an absence of pain. Follow along with me. Uh, there will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning, no more pain, no more crying. Again, the, the repetition. There will be no more. Uh, this has been an especially tearful week in the life of the Glade House. These are uh, good tears. Uh, we're, our uh, eldest graduated from high school. So yesterday was full of all those graduation events and more than a few tears shed by both uh, Jennifer and, and me. And these are all good tears. This is the way it is supposed to work. There'll be tears of a different nature if this was not part of the trajectory. Uh, but there are tears. And I don't want to be overly dramatic, uh, but you know, for 18 years, uh, my wife and I, we've been building this family, this, this thing. And you know, now we're in this season where it's starting to dissipate. And yeah, there'll be Christmases, and, but there, there's an ending here. And, and the truth of our mortal life, the truth of Life, this side of eternity, is that it's marked by ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Everything that you create is in the process of disintegrating. And that is just the truth. And so, one of the characteristics of the new heavens, the new earth, will be an absence of all those things that cause pain. No more tears. No more death, no more mourning. No more goodbyes. No more disintegration. Only creation. So that is the features of the new heavens and new earth that are highlighted here. The presence of God, the intimate presence of God. He will be their God. You will be his people and the absence of pain. And those two features that are a reality of the new heavens and the new earth are not a reality of what we experience now. We experience the absence of God's presence. We experience the presence of pain. And one day, it will just disappear. And that's what our passage tells us. It will be gone in the twinkling of an eye. So the description of eternity, 
we move to the assurance of eternity. Doesn't that sound great? A place where there's no more tears, no more crying, where you'll see God face to face. Well, what assurances of eternity do we have? I see two assurances of eternity. Verse 5, he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, verse 6. You know that phrase, I'm the Alpha, Omega, I'm the beginning and the end? That's called a mirrorism. What's a mirrorism? Well, a mirrorism is a figure of speech in which the author picks out two poles and captures the... the, the, the uh, the entirety by identifying two poles. So where'd you search? I searched high and low. The author, the person, simply means I searched everywhere. And the more important an event is, the more likely you and I are to use this figure of speech, a mirrorism. So mirrorisms show up in weddings. The minister could simply say, do you promise to be faithful? And the bride would say yes, the groom would say yes. That's not what the, the minister says. The minister instead says, will you be faithful in sickness and in health? One or the other. Those are the, those are the polar extremes. What the minister is, means is, will you be faithful in all conditions of life? Will you be faithful for richer or for poor? Those are two extremes. What the minister means is, will you be faithful in all economic highs and lows? We be faithful for better or for worse. You can only be one or the other, right? The minister could have said, we be faithful. He doesn't because it's important and he wants the man and the woman to appreciate the importance. God could have said, I'm God, period. He doesn't. He says, I am uh, the Alpha, the Omega. That's the first letter of the alphabet. That's the last letter of the alphabet. I'm the first and the last. I'm everything in between. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm everything in between. I am God. You can trust me. And so the first assurance that you and I have for this description of eternity, where there is no more tears, and the intimacy with God is the trustworthiness of his word. And the second assurance is the graciousness of his character. Look at verse 6. To the thirsty I will give springs of water, of life. And how much does that cost you? It's given to you and me without payment. Gratis, free of charge. That is one of the hopes, the, the hope of the Christian faith, that God is gracious, that he is giving uh, that, that you and I do nothing to earn, nothing to receive. Now, don't, don't, don't mishear. Free of payment for you does not mean free of payment, period. No, Jesus paid the price for you and me. Uh, he experienced tears and pain and death and crying on the cross. He experienced uh, uh, the absence of God so that our eternity could be marked by those things that he did without. Free of payment for you and me, not free of payment to him. And so the, the, the graciousness of God's character is the assurance not only there is an eternity, but you and I could have a place there. So we've looked at the description of heaven. We've looked at the assurance of heaven, the trustworthiness of his word. The graciousness of his character offers you and me a hope that we could have a place there too. And now I want to move to one final point of motivation 
for you and me now. And I find this in verse 7 and 8. You'll see what the author encourages. He encourages them to avoid certain actions, murder, sexual immorality, sorcery, idolatry. And I think this motivation that you find here is really a great summary for the entire book of Revelation. And this is our last Sunday on this book. Let me attempt to summarize the entirety of Revelation and put this paragraph in its context. The book of Revelation was written to a bunch of tired Christians they were experiencing the first great persecution under Emperor Nero. They likely encountered economic hardship as, as not bowing down to the emperor came, came with an economic cost. And I'm sure many of them were tempted to think, why, why bother? You know, what were, they're experiencing the presence of pain and the absence of God, and I'm sure many were just ready to toss in the towel. Give up. And the book of Revelation is written to encourage tired and beleaguered Christians. Don't give up. There's more to life than meets the eye. God is fighting on your behalf for the first 18 chapters. And now in the last chapters, the assurance that there is an eternal home waiting for you. The also, to, in sum, the author of the book of Revelation encourages these tired and beleaguered Christians, don't give up. Hang in there. Keep it up. And I want you to note what the author forbids. Look, it's, it's cowardliness, faithfulness, murder, sexual immorality, sorcery, idolatry. So there are many moral codes in the New Testament that are just beyond my reach, and beyond your reach as well. Like, turn the other cheek, I wish that were true of me. Uh, walk the extra mile, probably not gonna happen. But this list, I, I think we can hit those marks. Like, don't murder anybody. Don't, sorcery is out. Don't will knowingly worship the emperor. No, worship God. Here's what I think the author is saying. Hang in there. Don't do anything dumb. Don't do anything that would remove, that would shipwreck your faith and shipwreck your family and shipwreck your life. And I don't know how that advice strikes you this morning, the don't do anything dumb advice. It is not the most inspiring, I know. We were at the graduation yesterday. Plenty of graduation inspiration and graduation speeches. You know, the world's your oyster. You're, you know, take every hill, climb every mountain uh, from the various graduations. You know the advice I'm going to give my kids when they go to, off to college? This advice, don't do anything dumb. Because you can make a shipwreck of a lot of things. Like, we, we want, we, we don't give proper credit to the participation award. Right, the, 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 in the Glade household, you know, we, we put the red, if you get second place, the red ribbon, that can go on the wall, blue ribbon for first place, that go, the yellow ribbon, come home with the yellow ribbon of participation, that's straight in the trash. 
But friends, the award you want to get at the Pearly Gates is the Participation Award. Excuse me, I got off my notes just a little bit. The, the uh, ribbons were not in my sermon notes. I was spontaneous. Um, <laughs> let's see, how to land this plane. Um, I think that's the message of Revelation. And it's not the most inspiring words you can hear. And there's plenty of inspiration in the Bible for us to glean from. But every once in a while, you and I need to hear this basic message. You're on a, a good path. Don't do anything to blow it. Don't do anything that would visibly force, visibly remove you from the company of God's elect. You know, the Apostle Paul, as he came to his life end, described his life as this. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He doesn't talk about winning it. He just says, I finished it. And friends, that is a, that's a great goal. Finish the race. Keep the faith. And you know what the Apostle Paul says? For finishing my faith, I will now receive the victor's crown. He gets the participation award, and the participation award in eternity is pretty darn good. And that's what you and I want to receive. And so I end simply with the Apostle Paul's Summary of his life, this is what the book of Revelation is, is written to encourage us to be able to say. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my race. And now the only thing left for me is to receive the crown of glory, which I know that God will give to me. And that's what the author of this book encourages us to do. Eternity is good. It's the new model. The model is free of pain and the, it's full of the presence of God. Eternity is real. His word affirms it. His grace offers us the opportunity to be there. And now as we close this series, we hear this final encouragement. Keep it up. Don't do anything silly. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Finish the race.